Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia. In addition to my role here at Catholic Spirit Radio, I also host the Paul Garcia Show on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, on which I speak to the remarkable people of Central Illinois about their incredible lives, experiences, and insight. But today, on Catholic Conversations, I have a very special guest. He is none other than Bishop Louis Tilka of the Diocese of Peoria. Your Excellency, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be with you. The pleasure is all ours here at Catholic Spirit Radio. So, you were just appointed bishop on May 3rd, 2022, at the moment of Bishop Jenke's retirement. So you're still fresh on the scene is what I'm saying. So what has this transition from just being a normal pastor to being the bishop been like for you? Sure. So really my my life as a bishop started two years ago uh, when the phone call came on May 4th, 2020. Uh, So may the 4th be with you. Mm. (laughs) Uh, That's when I received the phone call. uh, And then obviously it was publicly announced on May 11th, 2020. Uh, that's when the transition began from me being a parish priest, a pastor, uh, to my life now as a, a bishop. I served uh, as the coadjutor bishop for about 19 months. Um, I was ordained bishop on July 23rd, 2020. Uh, and then when Bishop Janke retired on March 3rd, um, which was his actual 75th birthday, uh, he got his birthday wish that he had been telling me about since I, I was named coadjutor bishop, uh, that's when I succeeded him and became the ninth bishop of the Diocese of Peoria. Hmm. Um, the way I describe uh, when people ask about the difference between being a pastor and being a bishop uh, is perspective. Uh, so as a pastor, you're focusing on, for the most part, the people in your parish. Um, parishes are geographically uh, created, and you tend to focus on that area of location, the people who live within those boundaries. Uh, in many cases, we often even narrow that and focus more on the people who are actually showing up to church. But a parish pastor is responsible for the care of souls in the parish boundaries. And so far beyond the people who are registered or showing up on Sunday, the pastor has care of souls for all of those people in that geographical boundary. Obviously, as a bishop, my uh, care of souls is for the diocese. Uh, and the Diocese of Peoria is the largest land diocese in the state of Illinois. We have 26 counties and we have 16,933 square miles. Uh, so my perspective is a lot more different. Uh, when I think about uh, decisions I have to make, when I think about how uh, our life is impacted um, by the issues we face in our faith and living out our faith, it's not just for one small geographical boundary. It's for 16,933 square miles. Uh, we have roughly 120,000 Catholics in our diocese, uh, which is about 10% of the population of the diocese. So uh, I have care souls of over a million people as mm. bishop, um, but of those million people, there's about 120,000 of them are Catholics. I see, I see. So it's... You're just responsible for a whole lot more. Absolutely. And it seems like, and you just correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. as a pastor, a parish priest, you'd have a much more personal relationship with the congregation. And now, is it at all a bummer that you maybe don't have quite that same relationship anymore? It is is a challenge. 
um, it, it is a very, very difficult because, uh, again, since I do not have a small parish community, I have 157 churches in our diocese, and that the ability to get to know people on a much more uh, personal level is uh, very different. Hmm. Um, and there's, there's, the reality is, is that in many of my encounters with people, um, there, there is uh, the fact that many people know they will meet me once and maybe never meet me again personally. Um, there's also the reality that, um, since I move around so much and I'm trying to get to all the parishes, uh, I may not get back to a parish for some time. Um, my goal when I first became the coadjutor bishop was to make it to every church in our diocese within two years. And I'm about a month shy of my second anniversary of being a bishop here. Uh, I've only been to 92 of the 157 churches, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to meet my goal. Um, my hope was that I could do that within two years, but it's going to take me at least three. But uh, I don't have those personal relationships uh, that I used to enjoy when I was a pastor. Um, they're just only one of me and so many more of you, and I am pulled in all those different directions. So it, it is it is difficult. So how did you get chosen exactly? <laughs> well, I would say I got chosen by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Father. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, being a bishop is not a job I applied for. Uh, I... I, I didn't like send in a resume and said, please consider me to be a bishop. Um, you know, there is a process that the church uses to raise up names uh, of uh, priests who uh, would be good candidates for the episcopacy. Uh, there is a process that goes on where those priests whose names are, are brought forward are vetted. Um, and ultimately, uh, the congregation of bishops in Rome um, when there is a need for a bishop, they make a recommendation to the Holy Father. Uh, and that recommendation is a list of three names. It's called a turna. And so they present to the Holy Father a list of three names of what they believe, having done some vetting and inquiry of who that man is, uh, that that man would be a good candidate for being a bishop for a particular need. Um, and so Bishop Janke had requested a coadjutor bishop, and so that process had been going on. And uh, at some point um, before May 4th of 2020, uh, the, the uh, Congregation of Bishops presented him three names, uh, presented the Holy Father three names, not Bishop mm-hmm. Janke three names. Right, Pope Francis we're talking about Pope, here. It's a yes, real deal. Right, so they presented the three names to Pope Francis. Um, and it's not listed like this is our first choice, second choice, third choice. It's simply here are the three candidates that we present to you, mm. Holy Father, to make a decision. Um, and in his own prayer and in his own discernment, he chose me. Mm. Um, in fact, when I got the phone call, my first response to the Apostolic Nuncio when he told me that I would had been chosen to be bishop was, uh, I do not feel worthy of this office. And the response was, you have been chosen. Um, and so that, that, that's a, a very powerful uh, thing to hear, um, that the Holy Father, the Vicar of Christ, uh, has made a, a choice, and that choice was me. 
Right. And it's not like he just covered his eyes and let his finger go anywhere he wanted. And right. Just, oh, look who it landed on. He right. prayed about it. Correct. He really considered it. And of course, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe Pope Francis doesn't know you personally very well. I, he, I've never met him. I, okay. I look forward to meeting him. Uh, I will meet him in September of this year uh, when I go to Rome for uh, the gathering of new bishops. Um, but I have never met the Holy Father at this point. And, uh, you know, he's given information about me to pray over and make his decision. So it's not like just a list of my name and two other names on a piece of paper and he has no knowledge of who these are. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's given some information about the three candidates. Sure. Yeah. Well, very interesting process. I didn't know it quite worked like that. And it, mm-hmm. it must be really powerful to hear someone say, despite you saying, I don't feel worthy of this position. Ah, too bad. You're chosen. <laughs> right. And that's that. Right. Very powerful. Very interesting. And your Episcopal motto is go make disciples. Correct. Why that? So in my own heart uh, and in my own life as a priest, um, I have, over the last six, seven years, um, actually now probably eight, eight years at least, um, I have been having conversion experiences where um, my understanding of who, not just who I am called to be as a bishop, but who we are all called to be as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are called to go make disciples. That was the Great Commission. It's the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the commission given to the church. And the blessing of the church is that the church is made up of disciples. And sometimes we worry more about the church than we do about discipleship. And my own conversion of understanding the calling of discipleship is first. Uh, That is what prompted me to make the decision to use that as my Episcopal motto. Um, We often want to bring people to the church, and that's not a bad thing. I don't want to knock that in any way. However, if you take somebody who has not had any experience of Jesus in their life, if you take somebody who is not practicing any faith, and you say, well, come to the church, come to the Mass, they're not often going to understand what you're talking about, right? Um, a non-Catholic going to the Catholic Mass is going to wonder, what's this all about? Why are you kneeling? Why are you standing? What are the gestures you're doing? They often will walk away with more questions than answers. But if we start by saying, come and experience Jesus Christ, let me share with you how I have experienced Jesus in my life. Let me show you how I know that God loves me. And so we create the opportunity for them to have an encounter with Jesus. Eventually, that will lead them into the church. Mm. But we start with the relationship with Jesus first. We start with that encounter and then allow this Holy Spirit to work in their life to create in them the calling of discipleship. I want to follow this man, Jesus. And so my Episcopal model is all about trying to prioritize, first in my life, because that's what's that's a conversion that's been happening in my life over the last eight years, is that awareness and that realness of talking about my discipleship, my encounter with Jesus, so that I could share that with others so that we can 
through that discipleship and that encounter lead them into a deeper relationship ultimately with the church. Maybe, and forgive me here, maybe you can spell it out even more clearly for me. What might that process of getting someone to develop that relationship with Christ, what might that look like? How can I do that? You know, give us a, a little playbook here. Sure. Well, it, it, it starts by you having that experience yourself, right? You having the experience in your heart and in your life of knowing you are loved, knowing that you are accepted, knowing that you're not being judged. Um, and you see that in others who have had that experience. Um, and you are curious, right? So you enter into dialogue, you enter into conversation with them. And you say, why, why do you seem to have such joy in your life? Why are you so happy? Uh, why, why do you exude a sense of peace and purpose? And we start to have those conversations. And often when we start to have those conversations on that level, we start to hear people say to us, well, I experienced God's love and mercy in my life. You know, maybe I, I wasn't living a good life and I found out that God lo- still loves me and forgives me. Um, God wants to be close to me. I, Jesus wants to be a part of my life. You know, and we start to hear those stories and we look to those people around us who have that sense of joy and peace and, and love in their hearts and in their life. Uh, and, and so we're curious and we start to engage with each other. And we ask them, well, how did you get that? Well, I got that because I took time to quiet myself and pray. I allowed myself to be open so that I could feel the presence of God in my life. I, I, I chose to set aside time so that I could feel that the Holy Spirit was coming and working in my life. And then I began to explore that through prayer, through reading the Bible, through talking to other people who give witness in their own life. And I found this encounter with Jesus. Mm. And now that I have found this encounter with Jesus, it shapes who I want to be, which is discipleship. Discipleship is the lifelong process of learning about and and emulating the example of who Jesus is. Wow. Very fascinating. Very fascinating indeed. And it's so interesting. When you turn down the volume of the outside world you and you become silent, mm-hmm. you more or less turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Right. And if you pay close attention, you can really listen to that and you can bring about peace in your own heart. Right. And then when the Holy Spirit's alive in you, the natural product of that is is joy or something like a joy. And that seems to be extremely attractive and alluring to right. people who don't quite have that. Right. And they start asking you questions. It all makes perfect sense. You spell it out beautifully there. And in just one second, I'm going to come right back and I'm going to ask you some really interesting questions. <laughs> but first, here's a quick word from our beloved sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Al Cresta, host of Cresta in the Afternoon. Catholic Radio exists to do the work of remedial catechesis. Many have observed that for a few decades, the Catholic Church in America failed to teach the fullness of the faith with clarity and relevance. Catholic Radio came into existence to correct that problem. And that's why I'm glad that you continue listening and please continue to invite others to learn the faith with us. God is so loving. He is bountiful with his love for us, and in his bounty, he has given us Catholic Spirit Radio, and especially our own local Catholic Spirit Radio. But even though he has given us the opportunity with this radio station, he still needs our cooperation. 
and that cooperation means sharing our financial resources to support Catholic Spirit Radio. To encourage you to support Catholic Spirit Radio with your financial resources, I am making a $5,000 challenge match for Matching Mondays. Every dollar you donate on a Monday in the month of June, I will match up to $5,000. This means your donation is doubled. Use the Matching Monday button on the Catholic Spirit website or mail your donation to 108 Boykins Place in Normal. Matching Mondays in June. Together, let's keep Catholic Spirit Radio alive and sharing God's message of love. We are back. This is Catholic Conversations. I'm your host, Paul Garcia. I am here with Bishop Tilka. Bishop, we were just talking about, you know, the value of, of leading by example, letting the Holy Spirit dwell in your heart and your joy that will come from that and how that can attract people to have a faith or to inquire with you about how they can develop their faith like yours. I want to know, have you ever, has your faith ever taken a massive hit? Have you ever been maybe even a not believer? Because you're an intelligent man, you're an intellectual even. When someone is deeply curious about the world and reality, surely they have to come to question the divine and the metaphysical. So I, I'll repeat the question. Have you ever had a, a hit to your faith or lost your faith totally? Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing is we're all human. And uh, the way life goes, we have um, experiences that shake us. Um, so... You know, when I was uh, 19 years old was when my mother died of cancer. Um, I practiced my faith. My mother was a strong example of faith in my life. Um, and when she passed away, uh, I had just started in the seminary, um, and I still had a crisis of faith. Um, it, it called into question my own belief. Um, I obviously worked through that. Uh, took some t- time to pray, took some time to learn to accept and to live. Um, in fact, I would say that when people pass on for us, um, we never get over that. And that's a good thing. Because if we got over it, that means that they weren't that important to us. But by never getting over it, we're always carrying them in our hearts. Even that tinge of pain that's there because we miss them. Um, Even years later, when I was a priest, I've had experiences. Um, The very first time uh, as a priest that I was called to bury a child uh, was a very powerful experience. And uh, unfortunately, this young child uh, had been carried to term and uh, something happened in in the, the birth of the baby and the baby passed away. I'll never forget the day I, I met the family at the cemetery to bury this child. It was just the grandparents and the parents and myself. And I remember as I drove away, having hopefully brought some comfort, I remember thinking to myself, how could this be? How could God let this happen? Um, it's very angry, very, very emotional. Uh, and And yet in that experience, the quietness of my heart I heard the voice of Jesus saying, don't you believe that when I died, there would be new life? So I, 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 I've had moments like that and still have those moments. Um, you know, as I was named a bishop, I was accompanying my sister as her life was coming to an end. 
Um, had to bury my sister a month before I became a bishop. Uh, wow. You know, those losses, um, those experiences where life doesn't seem to have meaning and purpose or where our peace is shaken and broken, uh, those are the times uh, where we fall into crisis with our faith. And maybe it's not something as drastic or dramatic as losing someone that we love. Uh, there's other experiences, breaking up in relationships, marriages ending, um, you know, having a whole career idea get blown away because of a job loss or something like that. Those things that are important to us that, that challenge us, we can either choose to stay in despair or we can turn ourselves over to the Lord and find hope. Um, so there's, there's always going to be challenges. I, I would expect even as bishop, I will find those challenges uh, where I'm going to doubt and I'm going to question uh, because I'm human and I have emotions and I'm going to react. Uh, but the good news is, is the constant in all of that is, is the Lord's never, Lord's love never wavers from us. And the Holy Spirit is always there to be our constant companion and help and our guide. And we find our way back. You're going to be piquing a lot of people's interests. A lot of ears are perked up right now listening to this because a lot of people have lost loved ones and felt such despair in their heart that it makes them wonder how an all loving God could allow such a thing and is even there at all. Mm-hmm. How did you sort, maybe, can you take a guess as to why God might allow those things to happen? The death of an, of a, your first child, maybe, immediately mm-hmm. after death. The loss of your sister, mm-hmm. even. Things like that. Why might he let those happen? God's plan is bigger than us and bigger than our world. Bigger than what we know, right? Jesus came and suffered and died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And so we know there's more. And when we get locked into what we know in the present, we lose sight of the more. And the Lord constantly is calling us to say, there's more than you know. My love is greater than you know. So as difficult as it is, and I'm not diminishing in any way the grief and the pain, the struggles and the suffering that we have in our lives, there is always more to come in God's love and mercy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, especially when it comes to the death of a young person, mm-hmm. especially a child. Sometimes, you know, although the pain can just be almost too much, and oftentimes sure. it is sure. too much for people. I always like to think of when it's a child below the age of reason, you know, in all likelihood they are in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, all, and it's just so tough for us though, but is that the right way to look at it? You know, what if, do you believe that there's maybe always something good to learn and a grace to be experienced or had from every terrible situation? I always think of terrible situations as like fire, right? Mm-hmm. It's fire. If you take this crude, crummy uh, iron ore from the ground, you put it in the fire, you beat the crap out of it and raise up the heat, it comes out the other end steel so long as sure. it does not break. Do you think that you can become a better person from all terrible circumstances if you keep your faith in God, if you, if you, well, you know, do the things and that you need to as a Catholic? I, I think that uh, there, the good can always come out of any situation. Um, 
no matter how dark a cloud is, there's the sun shining behind it. Um, we have to allow ourselves to move through it. Um, and I think that's where uh, many times we struggle is because we don't want to move through it. We want to move. We want to forget it. We want to get away from it. We want to, you know, simply we, we want the resurrection without Good Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't get to the resurrection without Good Friday. And so um, in the moment, obviously, when someone is really struggling and, and there's a, a lot of pain and hurt, um, you know, we can't come in and just create a, a, a Pollyanna type of vision saying, just don't worry, it's all going to be okay, because that's not where that person is, right? Mm-hmm. One of the a powerful experience of learning for me when I was in the seminary, we had to do our hospital cha- chaplaincy. Uh, one of the, the directors in the program I was told us the story of having to go be with a family when a child was dying and said, the only thing I could tell you is I have no words I never know your heart is broken and I just came to let mine break with yours. And so the reality is, is that we have to be with people where they're at. We can't lose sight in ourselves that there's more to come, that the sun will shine again. Uh, But we can't also force them to see the sun before they're ready. Mm -hmm. We have to allow them their, their space to grieve. We have to allow them the space to struggle. Um, because that is what will help them, in your analogy, that that's what helps the iron ore become steel. It, it it has to be shaped, it has to be molded, it has to be pounded before it becomes steel. And you can't rush the process. Exactly. Beautifully put, very beautifully put. That was awesome. Bishop, I only have you for so long. I have to get through some questions here. Sure. But I do, I know that's going to really resonate with a lot of people. That was well said. Talking about the Diocese of Peoria. Sure. In both the quantitative and qualitative sense, what is the state of our diocese? How are things looking? Well, like many dioceses, um, I would start with the good, right? We have uh, wonderful people of God who are faithful. Uh, who want to uh, live their faith in a way that um, is going to make, has made a difference and will continue to make a difference all across North Central Illinois. Um, there's, there's wonderful priests and religious um, deacons uh, that are serving the church, and there's many, many people who so generously give of themselves um, to help us spread the gospel. Um, so there's a lot of good, and it's, there's a lot of hope we look at, we have 21 seminarians, so that's that's a hopeful sign of the future, right? Um, that we're, we're, we also face challenges, and, and again, these challenges are not unique to the Diocese of Peoria. <clears throat> As we listen to the Holy Father, he talks about that we're in a change of ages, right? From Christendom to a new apostolic age. Uh, people practice their faith differently. People are less engaged in the life of faith. Um so that translates into fewer people going to Mass. It translates in fewer people having a relationship with the Church. It translates into fewer resources, um, meaning there's fewer priests, and there's certainly fewer people in the pews, and there's fewer um, dollars in the basket to support the mission, right? Those are challenges we face. Um, now, I've been quoted as saying that I did not come over 
come to the diocese to preside over decline, but to create growth. Um, and so mm. we need to be honest with ourselves as to where we are at today and to then shape a brighter future for tomorrow. I like to use the analogy that if you want good wine, you have to have good grapes. And in order to get good grapes, you have to prune the vines. And so we're going to have to do some pruning, um, but it's all in an effort to create a stronger, more vibrant uh, church for tomorrow. We can't be weighed down or held back um, by what currently is or what was built from the past. We, we take what was what we have received, and we give thanks to God for everything we have received, and we see how we can move that forward, um, you know, into new wine. Now, I'm sure it's multifaceted and it's a complicated reason, but why do you believe the numbers in the church are declining, even in our own diocese, presumably? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are, that, that's a very broad question, right? Yep. There's yeah. a lot of answers to it. You know, people, uh, I mean, people are fond these days to say that the reason the church is declining is because of COVID. Well, hmm. COVID only heightened our awareness of other ways in which there's been decline. Um, we live in a more secularized world. Um, we've lived in a, a, a time when people think that I don't need God. Hmm. Um, and, and those, there's, many reasons for that. You know, uh, we could spend hours on this conversation about how it is that people come to those judgments. Um, my, my take as bishop is to say, let's not get bogged down in all of that. Let's look at what we can do to increase our awareness and our desire to live with, in, and for the Lord, to go make those disciples so that we can turn that around. Mm-hmm. I recently on my show, the Paul Garcia show, spoke to Pastor Mike Baker here in Normal. He's he's a pastor of Eastview Christian Church, a gigantic church. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the fact that as less and less people believe in God, especially young people, you can't help but notice also that depression rates and, and mm-hmm. feelings of, uh, well, anxiety, of course, suicide rates, especially among young people, and, and a general sense of unworthiness and uselessness and a lack of self-importance, et cetera, et cetera, those start to go up almost exactly at the same rate as the belief in God starts to go down. Right. Do you think that there's a link? Do you think that this is... absolutely. Okay, fair enough. Absolutely. You know, we are... uh, I'm just thinking I was recently with the Contemplative Sisters of St. John and in my homily, I was reminding reflecting on the scripture and saying, you know, what Elijah said in this passage was basically God is God and I am not God, right? <laughs> and if I'm not God, I need God. <laughs> and so if if I'm choosing to live without God, when I really need God because I am God's creature, I'm God's beloved son and daughter, uh, but if I'm not going to live with, with God, well, obviously that's going to have a, a, a very dramatic and drastic impact on our life not in a positive way. <laughs> so the more we cut God out of our lives, the more we think we are gods, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, replacing that relationship, the less we're going to find that joy, that happiness, that peace that fills the hearts of a disciple. Yeah, we just don't do quite as good of a job as our own God, as mm-hmm. actual God does. Right. It's very interesting. It's a, it's a 
a heartbreaking problem to watch this. And I talked to so many people about this type of thing. And I mean, child psychologists even, and the numbers are going up. I mean, child psychologists in this area, they're just swamped, you know, especially since COVID. And mm-hmm. gosh, we could talk about this all day. But as I've said already, I've only had you sir, for <laughs> so much time here. What's your vision for the future of the diocese? What are you trying to do? Like I said, maybe you, you're brand new here. You're, mm-hmm. you're maybe still got that beginner energy. What are you trying to do? Well, I, I came to the diocese two years ago, <clears throat> and I began with uh, meeting with the priests. Um, I followed that up last year by having a series of listening sessions with uh, the, the lay faithful uh, around the diocese. I had 12 listening sessions with, with folks um, kind of doing the synod before the synod. <laughs> mm. um, and because uh, people ask me, what is my agenda? You know, my agenda is to go make disciples. That That's that's why I chose that title, right? You know, that's that's simple enough. Uh, how we do that is is really what we have to discover. Uh, and then listening to the priest, listening to the religious, listening to the faithful, um, I put forward at Easter what I would call our, our five foundations to build upon. Um, our foundations that uh, we will build upon are we will work for evangelization. Uh, we will um, have Eucharistic re- revival. We will work for discipleship, creating discipleship. We will promote vocations, especially to the priesthood, but vocations in general. And we're going to try to promote the cause of Archbishop Sheen. Uh, those are the five foundations that every day I get up and I think, how do we do those things? How, how are we going to do those things? Some of that means we're going to have to do some of that pruning of the vine stuff, you know, mm. uh, so that we can get to the mission because right now we're held back by the maintenance. Um, but what I see in the diocese is um, over the coming next couple of years, uh, certainly um, that that first effort of of taking and tending the vines um, so that we can, within a couple of years, really launch and move forward with those five foundations. It's not exclusive, like we got to get one done before we get the next done. It's all going to be mixed in because life is all mixed in. Uh, but, you know, uh, those are the five foundations that I heard from our priests and our people that we want to build upon. Um, and the program is to to do the pruning, the tending of the vines so that we can grow some good grapes. When you say the pruning and the tending of the vines, what does that imply exactly? Well, it means we're going to enter into a process um, because it's not for me to stand at a map of the diocese and you know, point to the dots that represent parishes and say, well, this one stays and this one goes. And that. It's a process where we need to call upon the Holy Spirit to guide us, where people have to reflect upon who they are, who they're called to be, uh, what we can do uh, as a church, what we can sustain, and, you know, what we can build upon. Uh, so it's uh, an engage, engagement of the diocese to do that reflection. Mm. Ultimately, that will certainly lead to the decisions that, that we'll need to make to say, you know, the reality is, is we have 157 churches. We can't afford them all on, on many levels, you know, some because it's finances and some because we don't have priest personnel, some because we don't have people going to those churches anymore. Mm. You know? wow. So we have to look at all of that uh, in, a, in a way that uh, not only um, is respectful of our past, you know, the legacy that we build upon, uh, but also what is needed for us to do the mission today. Right. Understood. 
Understood completely. The pruning is a difficult conversations and right. figuring things out and everything else like that. I have a few more questions sure. here for you, but we better pay the bills here and say thanks to our <laughs> beloved sponsors. We'll be right back. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. God is so loving. He is bountiful with his love for us. And in his bounty, he has given us Catholic Spirit Radio and especially our own local Catholic Spirit Radio. But even though he has given us the opportunity with this radio station, he still needs our cooperation. And that cooperation means sharing our financial resources to support Catholic Spirit Radio. To encourage you to support Catholic Spirit Radio with your financial resources, I am making a $5,000 challenge match for Matching Mondays. Every dollar you donate on a Monday in the month of June, I will match up to $5,000. This means your donation is doubled. Use the Matching Monday button on the Catholic Spirit website or mail your donation to 108 Boykins Place in Normal. Matching Mondays in June. Together, let's keep Catholic Spirit Radio alive and sharing God's message of love. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-628. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg Thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of Thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, here today with Bishop Tilka. Bishop, when the Catholic Post asked you, what holds us, us being Catholics, back, you said, quote, fear, insecurities, a sense of unworthiness, a sense of political correctness, dot, dot, dot. You said a little more than that, but end (laughs) quote. How do we break through these barriers then? I think we... Break through the barriers. Um, I think it's first a, a matter of faith, right? We have to find um, in ourselves the courage to trust the Holy Spirit, right? And so uh, we've been given the gift of the Spirit. I, I celebrate lots and lots of confirmations. I keep reminding the young people that they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Use it. <laughs> mm. um, I think that... Um, we also uh, need to realize that um, despite a world that has become um, hyper-political um, and, and a world that 
is marked by judging others instead of loving others. Um, our focus is on the gospel, not politics. Our focus is on the truth of our faith, not the truth of the world. Um, and I'm, I know it's easier said than done. Um, but, you know, when we find and summon up that courage in our in, in ourselves, uh, when we call upon the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us, um, we take those risks. And sometimes when we take those risks, we're going to get shot down. There's going to be those who don't like us because they don't agree with us. Hmm. Um, but just because um, somebody doesn't agree with us um, or doesn't like our position doesn't make them our enemy. That's the truth. And so um, I think, you know, all those things I said about, you know, fear and political correctness and that that hold us back, uh, that's real and 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 it does take a lot of courage to step out beyond that. Um, but I think when we choose to look at another as a brother and sister instead of an enemy, when we choose to say, I can have a conversation with you, even though going into the conversation, I know you have one opinion and I have another opinion. But if I can go into conversation with you and dialogue with you, maybe you can learn from me and I can learn from you. Uh, and when we have those, when we do those things and we see that not everybody rejects us or we see that, yes, we can have dialogue. We can love one another. When we have those experiences, we have to summon them up again and again and again so that we don't get pushed back into that thing of being afraid or being uh, too concerned about what others are going to think, you know, mm -hmm. and especially if we focus on the truth of the gospel, the love that Jesus shows us, it's hard to argue that, right? I argue against that. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I can dialogue with somebody to learn from them, you know, uh, and trust that, you know, all I'm going to do is my part is to help share and learn the gospel, learn the ways of Jesus. Um, let Jesus then do the work, right? Mm -hmm. If if there needs to be a conversion in another person's mind and heart, I'm not going to convert them. Jesus will. So Holy you know, Spirit maybe guide right. my words a little bit here. That's right. You know, I, I often talk about. Uh, I was blessed a couple times um, to work with young priests. I was blessed to have young priests uh, as parochial vicar, and I always said about a newly ordained priest, the reason his homilies are so long is because he's going to try to teach you everything he learned over the last four years in the seminary in, the, in his first homily. Um, and, and often uh, a newly ordained priest, a young priest, um, they're on fire for the gospel. Mm -hmm. They want to save the world. I wanted to save the world when I was a new priest in 1996. I had to take a few lumps and then I realized, you know what? I don't have to save the world. Jesus did. <laughs> That's already been done. All I have to do is my part in sharing that message and that story. Um, now, whether it's a newly ordained priest, whether it's a young religious, whether it's a new teacher, a new doctor, you name it. When you first start, you're on fire and you have a passion for who you are and what you want to accomplish. That's often bigger than you. And 
that that idealism and that zeal is great. But, you know, we also realize that as we go through life, we get those lessons that kind of humble us. And being humbled before the Lord allows the Lord to do a lot more work in us. Right. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of great things you said there. There's immense value in having the ability to sit down and talk respectfully with someone whom you disagree with. Mm -hmm. You can both learn from each other. And then a little technique and a little psychology knowledge would go a long way as well. You know, don't cut them off. Don't yell, you know, just shut your mouth and maybe listen for a while and that alone could put their walls down. They maybe won't be so defensive and maybe you'll, you'll both come out of the thing better people. It's, it's really beautiful. I think there's also a, a danger in expectations, right? So you talk about that conversation we go into that conversation and I think I'm going to change your mind, right? Mm-hmm. The only person we can change is ourself. So I'm not going to change your mind, but I might influence your mind. And so I can't walk out of that conversation expecting that I just converted you. <laughs> right. All I can say is I hopefully influenced you enough that you are more curious to go deeper on that subject. And in particular, obviously, the subject of our faith and our relationship with Jesus. Again, allowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do the work. Right. Speaking of disagreements here, I had a lot of people want to ask me about, or wanted me to ask you about this. Pope Francis and other church leaders have warned that some movements promoting the Latin Mass have undermined church unity mm-hmm. in recent years. How important exactly is the Latin Mass, and do you think it'll be around in 20 years in Illinois? Well, the, the latest uh, uh, instruction given by the Holy Father uh, on the use of the Latin Mass acknowledges um, that instead of um, the ideal of accommodating, it has created division. Um, it, 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 it has divided us instead of united us. And of course, the Mass should be what unites us to the Lord first and then to one another. Um, I think that um, for some, there is certainly a beauty in the Latin Mass. Um, and let's be clear, in the what is called the Novus Ordo, the New Mass, you can use Latin. You can, in fact, do the entire Mass in Latin. When we throw around the term Latin Mass, we're really talking about the Tridentine Mass. The extraordinary form is what we call it now. And so it, we, we, we have to first educate people, like, what are we actually talking about? Because people throw out the term Latin Mass, and they're thinking that we're talking about one thing when we're really not. Yeah. Um, there's a nostalgia with uh, the Tridentine Mass, uh, for some, um, but the permissions that were given after the Second Vatican Council for the Tridentine Mass to continue were done to accommodate mainly old priests who had spent most of their priesthood celebrating Mass in the Tridentine Rite. So the reason that we didn't make it mandatory to switch completely and do away with the Latin Mass was because there were so many older priests that had become accustomed to the Latin Mass? It was to accommodate many of those priests. I, I, I can't mm. tell you how many numbers of priests there oh, was. Oh, sure, you know. sure. But, um, you know, and so I think there is a beauty to it, um, but it also uh, it does not create the sense of unity that the church is all about. And that's why the bishops asked the Holy Father to look at this matter, and then it will obviously the Holy Father making a decision about that. Uh, the question is, Is will it be around in 20 years? 
Um, I think it will always be around to the extent that um, there are those that it feeds, fair, spe- feeds spiritually. Uh, I don't think it will be common. I think it will be more, um, I guess, perhaps maybe say more uh, uh, occasional experiences to, again, show the beauty of how for centuries the church worshipped in that way, um, but also not to confuse it with the way the church worships today. Mm -hmm. All right. Well said there. For all the people that were asking me to ask that, you know, there you have it. And while we're talking about things that are somewhat controversial within the church, I'm just Mm going to hit you with this. So speaking of fear and political correctness, Mm -hmm. some stuff has gone on in the media today, in the mainstream media and in the Catholic world especially. Mm -hmm. So recently in San Francisco, the Archbishop has banned Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi from receiving Holy Communion because of her stance on and support of abortion. Bishop Tilka, what are your honest thoughts on that? Sure. Well, we have to respect life from its moment of conception to the moment that God calls us home, natural death. Uh, there should be a respect of life across the board. Um, I am not in favor of denying anyone communion. I'm not in favor of creating a litmus test that you have to pass before we say to you, the body of Christ. I think that um, the Eucharist, which is the source and summit of our life, the Eucharist, which unites us to the very life of Jesus, the Eucharist, which could cause us to have that conversion necessary to change our minds, is something that should never be politicized and should always be freely given. Um, if, if we start picking particular issues to say, this will make you either worthy or unworthy to receive communion, and thereby also denying that there are other issues of life that we should be very much concerned about. I mean, we're, we're having this conversation a week and a half after 19 children were killed by gun violence. That's a life issue. <laughs> and that, you know, so it, are, do we want to start saying to people who are pro-gun, that you are no longer worthy to receive communion uh, because that's a, a, a life issue as well. So I am in favor of trusting in God's love and mercy. I am in favor that the Eucharist, which is central to who we are, can truly change people's minds and hearts. And I'm not in favor of politicizing it or pointing out that this person I deem unworthy. I understand. I understand that. And I must ask, my understanding on like receiving communion was mm-hmm. if you're in a state of mortal sin, it's a no-go. What is the Catholic teaching on priests if they know someone's in a state of mortal sin? Do you decline? And is Nancy Pelosi's political stance on this issue, is that a mortal sin? I hate to discuss this, but I, I, I'm curious. So, Well, you know, I, again— we're placing ourselves as judge. Mm-hmm. Do I fully know the mind and heart of every person who comes before me receiving communion? Do I know that a particular person holds a particular belief that is contrary to what the church teaches? 
Um, we started this conversation talking about the difference of being a pastor in a parish and a bishop in a diocese, you know, and, and how I have to look out over now hundreds of thousands <laughs> instead of just a couple thousand. So I, I think that, you know, we get into a very um, dangerous area of classifying or judging um, people that, again, don't agree with us on everything. And again, there's many issues of life um, that are important. And so, um, you know, the, the grace of the sacrament, I mean, every Mass begins with us acknowledging our sins, right? It's one of the mm-hmm. first things we do in Mass is to say, I am a sinner. And what do we say when we are invited to communion, O oh Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but mm-hmm. only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Right? Right. So if the Lord and the you know is always willing to come to the sinner, I mean, read the scriptures, read the gospels. How often did the Lord, the Lord didn't come to sit around and talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He came to encounter the woman at the well. You know, he came to encounter the sinners and to lift them up and to forgive them. Why shouldn't we do the same? Understood completely. And so many people will passionately agree with you, and I'm sure some people will passionately I, disagree. I have no doubt. beauty. I have no doubt. Right. From what I just said, I will get letters. Oh, boy. I, know, I have no doubt. <laughs> well, Bishop Tilka, we're about to wrap this whole darn thing up here. I sincerely appreciate your willingness to mm-hmm. dive deep into those types of topics with me. Sure. I, I respect the heck out sure. of it. I really do. But kind of come in full circle. Mm-hmm. I'd like to wrap up with this. What can Catholics of the Diocese of Peoria know with absolute certainty that they can count on you to do or at least strive to do during your time as bishop? They can count on the fact that I will get up each and every day, start my day with prayer, which I do every day, uh, and that I will, I will give the best that I can to go make disciples to invite people to have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. My life has been changed because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I want others to have that same experience. And so I will do everything I can to foster uh, and assist um, and encourage uh, every Catholic in our diocese to be able to experience anew that relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus so that their life can continue to be transformed and that then by their witness of their faith, hopefully transform other people's lives. Beautiful. And with the overall goal of getting to heaven ourselves Mm -hmm. and getting as many other people there, or at least contributing to their ascension into heaven, as many people as we can. Amen. Amen. Well, Bishop Tilka, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. It was truly an honor to have you. And that is a wrap Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Catholic Conversations. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, host of the Paul Garcia Show on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast, and that was Bishop Tilka of the Diocese of Peoria. God bless, and have a great week. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. 